0: For some time now, we have been in a series in the Old Testament. I thought it might be interesting today that we see the crucifixion through the lens of the Old Testament. There are many prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament that's especially true in the Psalms. For instance, in Psalm 22, Jesus is the Savior dying for the sins of man. In chapter 23, He is the Good Shepherd, caring for the needs of the flock. And then in chapter 24, He is the Sovereign King, ruling over His kingdom. But today, since it is Palm Sunday, we look to Psalm chapter 22. So take your Bibles there and turn with me, beginning in verse number 1. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. O my God, I cry by day, but Thou dost not answer, and by night, but I have no rest, yet Thou art holy. O Thou who art enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In Thee our fathers trusted, they trusted, and Thou didst deliver them. To Thee they cried out and were delivered, in Thee they trusted and were not disappointed." But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me, they separate with the lip, they wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord, let Him deliver Him, let Him rescue Him, because He delights in Him. Yet thou art He who didst bring me forth from the womb. Thou didst make me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon thee I was cast from birth. Thou hast been my God from my mother's womb. As we look at this prophetic psalm, we see first the struggle of Christ in verse 1, when He cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I think you probably are aware that Jesus actually, literally, repeated these words from Calvary's cross. In fact, in Matthew chapter 27, verse number 46, the Bible says, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, the cross was a struggle for Christ. And we probably best see that struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus went before going to the cross. And there he struggled in prayer. As he said, Father, if there is some way to save man other than my death, then let this cup pass from me. So he struggled as he faced the cross. And in this psalm, we prophetically see the struggle of Jesus. Is it acceptable for us to complain when things are not as we think they should be or when we feel that we are not being treated fairly. Because as I look at this passage of Scripture, it begins with a complaint. And if it is a prophecy of Jesus, and I believe it is a prophecy of Jesus, then Jesus complained. He suffered but was not delivered. You'll notice there in verse number 1b, Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. He is going through a struggle. He is going through a time of suffering. And he cries out, but God, You have not delivered me. He prayed, but there were no answers to his prayer in verse number 2. Oh my God, I cry by day, but Thou dost not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. So we see here the Son of God as He is praying, but He says, but Lord, You have not answered me. Father, You have not answered when we pray, we expect God to do something, do we not? I mean, that's the reason we pray. We expect God to do something. I don't, I don't know if you remember, but Bill Cosby did a routine about Noah. And Noah is going through the, uh, the responsibility of getting all the animals into the ark. He was a little bit exasperated because uh, he had difficulty getting them there. And so as he's putting all the animals into the ark, the Lord said, Noah, and he said, what? You're going to have to take one, one of those hippos back. Said, They're both male. You've got to get a female. And Noah said, God, I'm not going to do it. You just change one of them. <laughs> well, that's the way we are when we pray. We want God to change something, to do something. And yet Jesus here is praying... As we see this prophetically, and he says, but God, you have not answered my prayer. And the truth is, sometimes you and I pray as well, but it seems that God is silent. So as I look at this prophetic passage of Scripture, it begins with a complaint. Jesus is complaining. He said, I'm suffering. You have not delivered me. I have prayed, and you have not answered my prayer. But then he moves to comfort. You'll notice uh, in verse number 3, he says, yet thou art holy. See, he, he is going through this time, Father, I am suffering. You have not delivered me. I have prayed and you have not answered my prayer. But he said, oh, but you are holy. You're not unkind. You're not unjust. You're not uncaring. He said, instead, you are holy. He thought of God's power in verse number 3 as he continues, "Oh, thou who art enthroned upon the praises of Israel. He says, Father, you are enthroned. You have power. I am here, I am suffering, I am crying out to you, and Father, you have power. And then he remembered the Father's faithfulness in verses 4 and 5. He said, in thee our fathers trusted, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. To thee they cried out and were delivered, in thee they trusted and were not disappointed." So as he is going through a time of complaint, he moves to comfort. And as he is being comforted by the fact that God had been faithful to the fathers who had preceded him. Father, when you call Moses to lead the people out of Egyptian bondage, and then you sent the plagues to force Pharaoh to let them go, you were faithful. And when they came to the sea, and you caused the sea to part, and they walked across on dry land... You were faithful. Father, when Noah was gathering the people to move into the ark, before the flood came, you saved him. You saved his family. You were faithful. When David took those stones and slew Goliath, you were faithful. So he begins by complaining and then he begins to comfort himself. But you are holy. You are enthroned. And you have been faithful. But then he returns to complaining again. Father, you have been faithful to the fathers, but you have not delivered me. Instead, he says, I've been treated with contempt. In verse 6, I'm a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. He says, Father, they don't even treat me as a man. They treat me as a worm. Matthew Henry wrote, it was great condescension that he became a man a step downwards, which is and will be the wonder of angels. Yet, as if it were too much, too great to be a man, he becomes a worm and no man. Father, I'm treated as a worm. I am the reproach of men. They said that he was a blasphemer. When Jesus stood before Caiaphas, Caiaphas accused him of blasphemy. In Matthew 26, 65, then the high priest tore his robe saying, He has blasphemed. That's what they said about him. He is a blasphemer. They said that Jesus was a Sabbath breaker when he healed on the Sabbath. They said that Jesus was a wine-bibber. They said that Jesus did the miracles that he did in the power of Satan. That's what they said about Jesus. Jesus said, I am the reproach of man. I'm despised by the people considered to be worthless. They treated him with contempt. He was mocked for his faith. We see it in the body language in verse number 7. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head. They sneered at him. They made faces at him. They shake their heads. You know, the, you know the body language of rejection, do you not? When someone doesn't like you and you happen to see them somewhere, they immediately turn the head from you. You know the language, the body language of rejection. So we see it in the body language. We hear it in their words in verse number 8. Commit yourself to the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him because He delights in Him. Oh, let, let God rescue Him. That's what He said. He's trusted in the Father. Let the Father rescue Him. And so they mocked Him for His faith. We see it in the body language. We hear it in the words they speak. The Son of God suffered ridicule from those He came to save. But then He returns to comfort again. So there is complaint, and then He is comforted, and then He complains again, and then He is comforted again. In verse number 9, Yet thou art He who didst bring me forth from the womb. Father, you knit me when I was in my mother's womb. Back then. He goes on in verse number 9. Thou didst make me trust when upon my mother's breast. Father, you initiated faith in me while I was a baby. And then in verse number 10, Upon thee I was cast from birth. Thou hast been my God from my mother's womb. So he says, Father... From conception, I have had a relationship with you that has guided my steps. So he is comforted again. As I look at this passage of Scripture, the first thing I see is the struggle that Jesus went through on the cross. He begins by complaining, and then he turns to comfort. He complains again, and he turns to comfort again. Father, you created me. You put faith in me. And I've had a relationship with you. But then we see the suffering of Christ in this prophecy of David. Again, Matthew Henry said, "...David indeed was often in trouble and beset with enemies, but many of the particulars here specified are such as were never true of David, and therefore must be appropriated to Christ in the depth of his humiliation." Now, look at his suffering with me. First of all, he was deserted by his friends in verse number 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. His friends had deserted him. Folks, that's one of the great disappointments of life, is it not? When we are disappointed in our friends who turn against us, and yet we see that is precisely what Jesus had to deal with. Judas, one of the disciples, oh, the treasurer of the disciples, he carried the money first. And Judas betrayed Him for 30 pieces of silver, about $18, the price of a slave. Simon Peter, one of the inner circle, denied that he knew Him. When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, during that time of struggle in His life, He took Simon Peter with Him. And yet it was Simon Peter who denied when asked if he knew Jesus I don't know the man. Three times He said it. I don't know the man. His disciples fled when He was arrested. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 56, But all this has taken place, that the Scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left Him and fled. So when we look at Jesus, we see that He was deserted by friends. Judas betrayed him. Simon Peter denied him. And when he was arrested and needed them around him, they all fled, fearing for their own lives. But not only was he deserted by his friends, he was insulted by his enemies. Look at verse number 12. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a ravening and a roaring lion. The enemies that assemble around him insulted him. The thieves on the cross. The Bible says in Luke 23, verse 39, And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. So when Jesus died, there were two thieves, one on either side of him. At first, both of them turned against Him, making disparaging remarks about Him. You claim to be the Savior, this would be a good time to start. You say that you're the Savior, save yourself and save us as well. Now, you know that one of them became a believer in Christ as he cried out and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. But the other did not. The crowd that gathered insulted him, Matthew 27, 39, and 40. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. He was deserted. He was insulted. And he was crucified. Now, the psalmist here prophetically describes the crucifixion, the dissolution of the body. In verse number 14, I am poured out like water. In other words, he is saying that his body was as weak as water. I've read about the crucifixion, the Roman crucifixion. Perhaps you have as well. As a person hung on the cross... The gnats and the flies would pester them, and there was nothing that they could do. They couldn't get them off. There was dehydration of the body, and most of them died of suffocation because they couldn't raise themselves up to breathe after a while because they were weak. There was a dissolution of the body, the dislocation of his bones. In verse number 14, all my bones are out of joint. One commentator wrote, His bones were put out of joint, that He might put the whole creation into joint again, which sin had put out of joint and might make our broken bones to rejoice. His body was weak. His bones were out of joint. His strength dried up. Verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaves to my jaw. His strength was gone and because of thirst, his tongue cleaved to his jaw. He was thirsty as he was there on the cross. The scripture says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. The suffering of Christ, we know about the physical part of it, and usually consider the physical part of it, but he was deserted by his friends, insulted by his enemies, and crucified for our sins. There's a prayer of Christ, and he presented three requests to the Father as he is on the cross. Prophetically, David looks into the future, and Jesus prayed. Three requests. First of all, God's presence in verse number 19. But thou, O Lord, be not far off. O thou, my help, hasten to my assistance. He prayed for closeness. Be not far off. Folks, whenever we are going through a time in our life and we are suffering and we are struggling and perhaps we are deserted by our friends and insulted by our enemies and we're going through a difficult time, what do we desire The closeness of God. My soul hungers for God. I want to know that God is with me. And and that's His prayer as He is there on the cross. He is praying for the closeness of God and for deliverance. Hasten to my assistance. Have you not done that? Have you not had those times of struggle in your life when you say, God, don't be far off. Be close to me, and Lord, hasten to my assistance, hasten. Because of the struggle, he prayed for strength to suffer to fulfill his assignment. Henry said, when we cannot rejoice in God is our song, yet let us stay ourselves upon Him as our strength and take the comfort of spiritual supports when we cannot come at spiritual delights. Jesus looked to the Father for the strength that He needed and He received the strength that came from the Father because Hebrews 5.7 says, In the days of His flesh, He offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save Him from death. Jesus cried out to the Father, Father, help me. Folks, we are so comfortable, we are so familiar with the story of his death that we don't realize the struggle and the suffering that he experienced. And as he cried out to the Father, Father, help me. He found strength. The Apostle Paul, when he was in prison, about to be executed, found strength from the Father. There he was in prison, facing the executioner, and he said, The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight, kept the faith, finished my course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will give me. God is our strength. I know that some of you are going through a struggle. You're going through a difficult time in your life. And you need the closeness of the Father. You need the strength of the Holy Spirit, and He strengthens us. He prayed for the deliverance of Spirit. In verse number 20, Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. From the cross, he was concerned about his spirit because there in Luke 23:46, and Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, we should be far more concerned with our spirit than our bodies. We should be far more concerned with our spirit than our 401Ks. We should be far more about, uh, concerned about our spirit than anything else. And Jesus prayed for the deliverance of His Spirit. The prayer of Christ for the presence of the Father, for His strength, and for the deliverance of His Spirit. Now there's the triumph. The psalm begins with a struggle and ends in triumph. As a result of Jesus' death, there are three benefits that are pointed out in this passage. First of all, God is honored. He is glorified by the church in verse number 23. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him and stand in awe of Him, all you descendants of Israel. Isn't it a wonderful privilege that you and I have to glorify the Heavenly Father? That you were given the privilege to bring glory to His name. Do you? By your life, do you glorify Him? You see, that's what He is saying. He says the benefit. He died. He died on the cross. But we bring Him glory. The church brings Him glory. The Son gave Him glory. John 17, 4. I glorified Thee on the earth. Having accomplished the work which Thou hast given Me to do. What is the benefit? What is the blessing of His crucifixion? God is honored the save are satisfied. Look at verse 26. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Listen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be satisfied. Do you have a hunger for God? A thirst for God in your life? Because if you do, you'll be satisfied. If you have that hunger, if you have that thirst the promise is that you will be satisfied immediately because when a person becomes a believer when a person commits one's life to Jesus there's immediate satisfaction I'm a child of God progressively in fact the word that is used there's an agriculture term and it means to fatten out an animal it happens a little bit at a time if you've ever had animals that's what the, that's what it means you see, it happens immediately when we are converted. It happens a little bit at a time as God works in our lives, and it happens eternally. Now, I don't know what heaven's going to be. All I know is what the Bible says about it, and I'm content with that. But, folks, let me tell you, I don't know what you're thinking heaven is going to be, but you're going to be satisfied if you get there. You're not going to be disappointed. I've been on some vacations. I was disappointed. But you're not going to be disappointed with heaven. You'll be satisfied. The third thing is world evangelism. People being converted. Verse 27, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will worship before thee. He is saying as a result of His death that all can be saved. And not only are they saved, but He says they persevere. Look at verse number 30. Posterity will serve Him. It will be told of the Lord to the coming generation. Those who are saved will persevere. I believe that. I know that I know sometimes Presbyterians like to claim that, but I believe that. I believe I am safe and secure in Jesus Christ. Not because I deserve to be, but because of who He is. Not only will we persevere, but the Bible says we'll tell others about Jesus. We'll tell others as to what happened on Calvary, how Jesus died to pay for my sins that I might be saved. Let me conclude. Jesus died on the cross. It was prophesied in the Old Testament, fulfilled at Calvary. The Bible said He would die for the sins of mankind. And He did. Jesus triumphed over death. And we'll celebrate that next week. He was victorious over death. And because He was victorious, He gives us victory. And the Scripture says, O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died, paid for our sins, and rose from the grave that we might live forever. Now, we're going to extend an invitation in just a moment. Yesterday as I was praying about this time, my guess is there are some of you who are going through a time of struggle. And you might be at the stage of complaint. That's okay. If Jesus complained, it's okay. You might be struggling and complaining. I want you to be comforted. So the invitation in part this morning is that you can come right down here to the altar and just get before the Lord. These deacons, if you come down and kneel, these deacons are going to pray with you and ask the Lord to comfort you, to meet your need. And together you just cry out to the Lord, whatever's on your heart. There are some who never come to know Jesus. The invitation today is that you might come and receive Him, commit your life to Him, and the staff will be here to receive you. And our doors are open to you if you're looking for a church home. We'd love to have you. Let's stand together as we stand. I'll pray. And after we pray, then the choir will sing. You come. I'll greet you. Gracious Father, thank you for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus and His victory. Lord, I pray today for those who are struggling that they might be comforted. I pray, Father, for those who have never been saved that they might trust Jesus today in Christ's name. Amen. All right, as the choir sings, you come. If you just want to come and pray, these deacons will pray with you. Come and join the church. Give your life to Christ. I'll greet you as you do.